we are blessed to have Brother Ted Branshaw and his wife Vicki from Alpena back over with us again today. And uh, I'm sure that Ted has got a great word for us. And he's getting wired up. So I'm not going to delay any longer. Please give a nice welcome to Brother Ted Branshaw. Praise the Lord. Um, I do love coming over here, and I love your pastor. You have one of the most genuine pastors that I know, and I think that was probably the best way I could describe him. Uh, I wish that we were closer in proximity. Uh, but I do consider him a good friend. Uh, my wife Vicki and I have been here. Most of you have heard me before or read our book, um, Your Ministry Matters. Your Ministry Matters, the new book, the second edition, is scheduled to come out this week. And so it has uh, a couple extra chapters and some changes and also has a study guide at the end of it. So that it can be used in small groups and, and such. So uh, that book is in four or five languages, and it just spreads like fire on the mission field. People just take it and run with it, and it becomes their own, and it, it's been really good. Uh, you can keep in contact with us. I'm on Facebook, Ted Branchaw, Branch Like a Stick, E-A-U. And I'll be friends with anybody, and I promise you'll never know if I have a cold or I try to write encouraging things. I, uh, we also have Your Ministry Matters Facebook and Your Ministry Matters website. And on the website, you can get involved with the ministry in, in giving. Uh, we are working on, right now, going to the Philippines in June to go back again there. So um, they're waiting for my answer, and I'm just waiting for the funds. So uh, we're, we've got things just about set, just about ready to pull the trigger, but we still are believing God for the final budget part. So let me pray for you. I'm going to take you down a road today that I hope will challenge you and make you question some things about your own Christianity. Does that sound scary? And your own eternity and the way that you live your life now. These are all good things. I can say them all with a smile. They all produce wonderful things. And uh, we'll talk about those as we go. But let's pray. Father, I am so thankful for the person of Jesus Christ. And Lord, that you loved us too much to leave us the way we are. But constantly, consistently, you are causing all things to work together for our good. And that good is that we would be transformed and changed. We are predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. That's what your word says. So that's your goal. That's your desire. Lord, I pray that you would use the words that are spoken here today and that you would breathe on them. If they only hear what I say, they've heard nothing. But if they hear what you say, if they have ears to hear, what the Spirit of God is saying, then they'll leave here changed, different, rearranged. And you'll be glorified, Lord, because that wonderful essence of who you are, your character, the fruit of the Spirit, Lord, will be the target wide open for us to watch the Holy Spirit do a work that only He can do for Your glory. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. Uh, if you would, turn in your Bible to Second um, Corinthians 13. We're going to start there. And I, like I said, th- this is maybe going to be a little different than how I normally preach. Maybe today I'll be a little more teachy, but uh, hopefully we won't be boring. So I don't think the word ever is. When I was out, my wife and I spent 16 or 17 years out in Iowa pastoring, and uh, we've been back in Michigan now for almost five years, coming up on five years. Over in the Alpena area, we have Northern Michigan Christian Counseling, which is what we do uh, with our spare time, and uh, that's been a wonderful blessing. I have a degree in Christian Counseling, and so... Uh, it's challenging. Now, always when people come to me for counseling, I say, you understand this is Christian counseling. Yes, yep, that's what I want, Christian counseling. My next question is usually, can you tell me, please, what is a Christian? And people will uh, come up with the, the craziest of answers, and they don't like to be put on that spot. But I leave them there, and I let them flounder a little bit because I want them to understand what a Christian is. Because a lot of people go, but they, they have no idea what a sheep is. They make the noise. They come into church on Sunday morning. They know the steps. They know when to say amen. They know the words to the songs and the, which Sunday is potluck Sunday, but... They, they, they really have no idea what Christianity is. Well, it's all about getting to heaven. I don't want to go to hell. You get to go to heaven. I say, well, I don't want to go to heaven. Why do I want to go to heaven? Well, you don't want to go to hell, do you? And I say, no, I, I guess I, I don't. Well, what, what do you have to do to get to heaven? Well, you have to have a personal relationship with Jesus. What does that mean? I'll ask, and why would I want one? I, I'd love my wife, and we have such a great time together. I don't know that I have room in my life for many other relationships. And eventually, most people's Christianity comes down to getting to heaven. And that's not Christianity. That is a perk. That is a, a, a wonderful byproduct of Christianity, but it's not Christianity. And when they finally tell me that Christianity is about getting to heaven, I say, well, that's like me saying my goal is to get on the roof. And if I could only get on the roof, then I can escape this brush fire that's coming through. But I can't jump that high, and I'm not Spider-Man, so I can't climb the walls. What do I do? I say, get a ladder. Yes, that's a great idea. Get a ladder, then I can get on the roof. So let me just bring this back to Christianity and I tell them, so what you're telling me is that Jesus is not really your goal, he's your ladder to get you to heaven because heaven is your goal. I'm telling you Jesus is your goal. Jesus is the pearl of great price. He is the treasure hidden in the field. He is our all in all. He is... Uh, the great I am. God got what he wanted when he created Adam. Adam was in his image and in his likeness. He walked with God. He, he, was in the, he, he, he had this relationship. He was in the heart of God. Can you imagine? No guilt, no shame. You don't even know what guilt is. You, you don't even, you, you want to compare um, guilt? I, I'd compare my guilt with just about anybody's. You want to compare doing stupid things? I could probably hold my candle with most of you. In Iowa, we used to have a guy that say, I I love my pastor because he's been around the block and eaten a hamburger or two. That was his way of saying, yeah, he's just like us, but he knows Jesus, and Jesus has changed him. And so, yeah, I could compare notes with just about anybody. I could keep up with you. 
So my goal isn't to get free from those. I, but I still have, I think back of the stupid things I did and the stupid things I said and the stupid ways that I hurt people. And I can feel the guilt. I can feel the shame. It's all there. But can you imagine that Adam knew none of that? He didn't know what sin was. He didn't know what regret was. He didn't know any of that. All he knew was God. Image and likeness, walking with God. Here's the benefit of walking with God in His presence is fullness of joy. Can you imagine just to be enveloped in that kind of joy? You're not worried about what's the economy going to do? Are my kids going to turn out all right? Am I going to get home safely today in the snow? And you're not worried about your job? And will I have enough money to retire? You're not even worried about going to heaven because you are with heaven. You're with God. Where else would you want to go? But to be with Him. And so then sin came. And sin separated man from God. And then there is us. God made this wonderful promise to Adam and Eve. His first messianic promise one day. He said, the serpent will strike at your heel and bruise it, but you'll crush his head. Now you can recover from a bruised heel, but you don't recover from a crushed head. And so we have this total victory over Jesus Christ, but we don't live in the sweet by and by. We live in the nasty here and now. So in the nasty here and now, we still have to deal with temptations and struggles and personalities and politics and the yuck of life. But God is using all of those things and He is causing us to be just like Him, to look just like Him, just like He wanted in the Garden of Eden. Adam was the image and likeness of God. He looked like God. He showed the glory of God. He was God's greatest demonstration of glory. He lost that. We don't see that again until Jesus. Jesus was a visible image of the invisible God. And then Jesus went and He said, now you are the body of Christ and members in particular. So we become now this demonstration of God's glory, and so we have to decide, we have to figure out what does that glory look like and what does God want us to be? How do we best show the glory of God? Now the Bible is full of incredible, great, and called great and precious promises. But you know, the Bible's also got some, some, th- some tough things that you have to wrestle through. And you can be a smorgasbord Christian and just kind of go through and get all the, you know, the, you go to the smorgasbord and go right for the ice cream first. You go right past the Brussels sprouts and the broccoli and you go right for the ice cream and the cookies. And you can just stay at that end and eat and eat and eat till you're full, but it's, it's not going to be good for you in the end. So it's best if we, uh, if we go ahead and we deal with some of the tough things in the Bible because those tough things will help us to grow and they'll give us a worldview that is solid and secure and a foundation that's strong. So regardless of what comes our way in life, we will always have this foundation that is Jesus Christ that says He wants for our good. Westminster Shorter Catechism The very first question says, what is the chief end of man? What's the purpose of man? Why are we here? Didn't you ever ask that question? I I don't think I was barely 10 or 11 I was asking, what in the world is all this about? But the Puritans of Westminster Shorter Catechism, they said, they answered the question by saying, the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. That's our purpose here. To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Do you ever think of that? Do you ever think that your life is not about you? Do you ever think that your life should be lived in an outward fashion? Remember that, those, those crazy scriptures like deny yourself? 
which means to refuse to associate with, by the way. Refuse to associate with. What's your name, precious lady? What's your name? Jeannie. That's a good name. I'm going to refuse to associate with Jeannie. I don't care where she lives. I don't care what her dreams are. I don't care what her hopes are. I, I, I don't care. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not concerned with anything about her. My concern is on following Jesus. And this is what deny yourself means. Deny yourself. Take your hopes, your dreams, your aspirations, your goals, your IRAs, your, your 401Ks. Take all of those things, those concerns, and lay them aside. And, and take up your cross, which the cross, by the way, is a means of, of death, of execution. Die to self. What a horrible thought. I'm too selfish and too self-centered and too self-consumed to be a Christian. Thank God for Jesus Christ and his sacrifice. And then to me, probably the worst in that scripture is follow me. Man, I hate to be told what to do. So deny yourself. Take up this instrument of death and then follow me. He said, if you don't want to do that, you know what? Stay home. You can't be my disciple. If that's not what you got in mind, he even tells us, count the cost. You better figure out what this is going to cost you before you sign up. Because if you sign up, you're no good if you turn around and look, look back and say, I wish, I wish. So we deal with some of the tough things. I used to teach when I was in Iowa for in Michigan, I think they have MySOM. In Iowa, they had ISOM, uh, School for Ministers. They used to teach you an uh, Old Testament, introduction to Old Testament poetic books. Doesn't that sound thrilling? But uh, introduction to Old Testament poetic books. And uh, one of the things when you deal with in the poetic books, of course, the main poetic book is Psalms. And in Psalms, you have some some psalms, if you've read all the way through, that I'll bet if you've read all the way through the psalms, you missed them because we don't pay attention to them. And there's several psalms in, the, in, in psalms that are called the imprecatory psalms. They're, they're the, they are to imprecate or imprecatory means to pronounce a curse. See, most of the psalms are, you know, they kind of start out, start out, Oh God, where are you? I'm so discouraged. My enemies are whooping on me. And by the end of the psalm, they're singing happy, joyful, and wonderful things. But there's several psalms that don't end happy. It's like you start out, you know, in a funeral procession in verse 1, and you end in the grave in verse 12. They're the imprecatory. They don't make sense. Why are they there? And most people don't ask the question. So, so you, can either, you can either overlook these psalms and pretend they don't exist or come up with some reason on your own why they do exist or you can wrestle with those psalms and, and try to put them in context with the whole Bible so that they make sense and that they fit. And there are things like that all throughout the Bible that, that we have to wrestle with and find out that, that if they fit and how they fit. And you should be in 2 Corinthians 13. The Apostle Paul makes one of those statements. There's a couple things that just kind of make me go, <gasps> because I know that I have to ask those questions. If they're asked in the Bible, I have to ask those questions. And Paul asked this question of this church in Corinth, and it's very disturbing. Second Corinthians 13 and verse 5 says this, Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Now, can I just Tedize that for a minute? He's writing to the church at Corinth, not to Pete's sports bar. 
not to uh, attention Walmart customers. He is writing to a church. And he is saying to the church, he's saying, Centerpoint Church, examine yourselves and see if you're in the faith. Or let me say it, examine yourself and see if you're even saved. That's what he says. Check yourself. Well, wait a minute. I'm on the board. It doesn't matter. I didn't write this. Examine yourself and see if you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Can you sense that? Can you feel that? Unless, indeed, you are disqualified, or another version says, unless you've believed in vain. You mean it's possible to go to church, to know all the words to the songs, to have my special seat that I sit in? I was thinking on the way over here this morning, Vicki and I always sit in those back two seats. I'm thinking, I wonder who normally sits there. Because I'm sure we're in somebody's seat. She's in the kitchen today. All right. I knew there's somebody, because those are prime seats. Somebody's seat is there. You can have your own seat. And yet still have to ask the question, am I even in the faith? You listen to the, the living Bible, because this says it a little, little more straight. He says, check up on yourselves. Are you really Christians? Do you pass the test? And now he tells us what the test is. Do you feel Christ's presence more and more within you? So if you were sitting on my counseling couch and I said, let's just ask the question, are you a Christian? And they say, yes. And then I say, do you feel Christ's presence more and more within you to which the normal churchgoer will go, yes. But now I'm going to nail you down because I'm going to ask the question, If that is true, how does more and more manifest in your life every day? Go ahead. And I'll just wait. Just like I'm not going to call on you. But you should be able to answer that question. What does more and more look like? Christ's presence more and more. Or, he goes on, New, the Living Bible, are you just pretending to be a Christian when actually you aren't at all? Ouch! Ouch! That, that's a hard question, but we can't just pretend it's not there. We have to ask the question, if Paul asked the church at Corinth, then it is a real question that needs to be answered by the church today. And I'll tell you, my biggest fear right now in this 2016 is that most of the church doesn't understand what it is to be the church. We, we, don't, we, don't, we don't have it. We don't understand it. We don't live it. It's not something, you know, integrity, they say, is, is what you do when nobody's looking. Christianity is the same way. If if, uh, I drove past a a field and there were a bunch of sheep out there and they're eating grass and it's just this wonderful, serene uh, um, picture, just get it in your head, you know. They're on the hill, they're eating grass, little baby sheep bouncing around and such. You know, isn't that just a great picture? Everybody should be able to put that in your mind. But if we drove past that same field and there was a dead deer in the middle and all the sheep were jumping in on top of it and grabbing great mouthfuls of flesh and hair and pulling it out and biting at each other and snarling. You can't see that, right? Because in the first picture I painted for you, 
I painted a picture for you that is in line with the nature of sheep. Right? It is totally contrary to their nature to eat a dead deer. To eat meat at all. And we would look at that deer or those sheep and go, what is the problem? I didn't know sheep could get rabies. Well, what is the problem here? This is not a normal sheep. How can you tell? It's obvious. It's obvious. Let me ask you a couple of questions here. What color is this? Orange. It is orange for those of you my age that can't see this far. Yes. What color is this? What color is this? Red. Red. It's red. It's good. Those of you that said orange, you missed your cue on the first one. What color is this? Blue. Now, can I ask you a question? How do you know that this is blue, red, and orange? How do you know? It's obvious. It's obvious. You look at it and you go, that's orange. It's orange. Do you know that when people look at your life, now that you see you, you were born with this sin nature, and everything that you were and did prior to Christ went totally contrary to God. There's no man that seeks Him. There's no just man. You know, none. There's none righteous. Totally contrary. But when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, you get a new nature. And just like you can look at these and go, this is obvious. Blue, red, orange. This is obvious. Just like looking at those sheep tearing at that deer, it is obvious that they are not acting according to their nature. For you as a believer, it should be obvious to the world that you're different. That you're different. Or are you just like the world, but say amen at the end? Are you just like the world? You want what the world wants. I want a house on the lake. I want a boat. I want a jet ski. I want a big 401k. I want early retirement. I want. Or do you deny yourself? And if you do, what does that look like? What does that look like? When they talk about, is not this not the fast that I have cho chosen? To loose the bands of wickedness and to set at liberty those that are oppressed. But then he goes on to say, don't just go hungry. Take what you would have eaten, what you would have spent, and give it away. Then you complete the whole circle. So don't just say, I deny myself. How do you deny yourself? What does that look like? Are you really concerned about your own Christianity? Are you concerned about the Christianity of the rest of the world? What are you concerned about? Can people tell you're a Christian? Is it obvious to them? Because if it is, they will notice that your priorities have changed, your outlook has changed, your activities have changed. What you do and don't do has changed. You don't come to church on Sunday morning to get your, your, your teaspoonful of preaching and church and Christianity and then go home and live like you did before you got here. Because if that's all you do, talk to one of the elders and get saved. Because if you're a part of the body of Christ, there's something in you that drives you to do crazy things. Like when you're out shoveling snow to go past the end of your sidewalk and do your neighbor's driveway. And don't expect to get ten bucks for it. And if they say, hey, thank you, just say, hey, be blessed, man. Or just say, you're welcome. And let them see that there's something different in you.
Live your Christianity. What is different about you? You have a new nature. Old things are passed away and all things become new. Do you know that if you are a Christian, and and this is part of what God has given me to do, if you are, if you are truly a Christian, at the DNA level, you've heard me say this, at the DNA level of your Christianity is a desire to serve. I, I can't help it. I have to serve. Why? Because Jesus, who is the head of the church, didn't come to be served but to serve. And I'm a part of his body. So what the head does, the body does. So if the head wants to serve, the body should just fall around, fall in line. I didn't ask my feet this morning, hey, you guys think we could go over to Charlevoix? Are you guys in, in for this? Are you up for this? What, what do you guys think? I mean, if you don't want to, that's okay, but, but I, I think it would be a good idea. Well, wait a minute, let me see if the kids have soccer. If the little toe has soccer, you know, it's just a little toe. He needs all the advantages he can get. Or do they just do what the head does? Now, I, 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 I'm, not, I, I'm not picking at anybody. I, I'm just challenging you. You're just getting a little taste of what it's like to live inside my head for a few minutes. I'm just challenging you that if you're a Christian, it should be obvious. And one of the obvious signs of your Christianity is a heart that says, I want to serve. I got to serve. And that doesn't just mean running a vacuum in church. It means... At the restaurant, when you hold the door open, it means at, at, the, at the, the grocery store, when you help some old lady pack her trunk full, it means when you bless a neighbor, it means serving. Ministry happens where you're at. Where are you? Ministry happens where you're at. How do you know that? Because God orders our steps. Well, how do you know there's ministry going to be there when I get there? Because he said there are good works prepared in advance that you should walk in them. Well, how do I know it's for me to do? Can you reach it? Because whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Well, you know how they are at the church. You do things one time, they expect you to do it every time. Oh, stop it. Stop it. You realize what a blessing you pass by every time you have an opportunity to serve and you say no or let me pray about it. Every time I have an opportunity to serve, I just go, thank you, God. Even when it's inconvenient. Especially when it's inconvenient. Especially when he interrupts my plan and I have to do it his way. Now, let's stay along this line because I I want to explore for the remaining few minutes here this connection between our salvation and how we live our lives. Or, Or, dare I say in church, works. You say, well, wait a minute, we're, we don't talk about works here. We believe salvation is by faith alone. That's true. That's absolutely true. By grace, through faith, and not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. That is true. But let me ask you a question. What saved Noah and his family? Faith in what God said or works in building that ark? What was it? It was a combination of the two. James said, faith without works is not even faith. It's dead. It's dead. So there has to be works. Now, I'm not talking about a works-based salvation. What I'm talking about is that if you are a Christian, it will be obvious in what you do. 
and don't do. It'll be obvious. Everyone will see it. You don't have to wave a flag. You don't have to get a WWJD bumper sticker or bracelet. I love going into a restaurant and looking into the eyes of my waiter or waitress. And if I see Jesus in there, or even think I do, I say, are you a believer? Well, yes, how did you know? I see Jesus in you, man. I see Jesus in you. I can hear him in your voice. I can see him in your eyes. You're different. You are tearing chunks off of that dead deer and you are ripping it up. The old nature would never put up with what you're putting up with today. But this new nature, oh yes, different. And one of the ways is by works. We're exploring for a couple minutes this connection between salvation and works. They have to be related. And I always say this, I've said this for years. Works, if you're going to write anything down, write this down. Works do not produce a relationship with Christ. But a relationship with Christ will always produce works. Always. Now, let me share a statistic with you. I'm, I'm not a big statistic guy, but some of them are just too obvious to, to ignore. And that statistic is this. Ten out of ten people living in the world today will die. It's, it's a pretty sound statistical average, yes. In fact, it's in the Bible, it's appointed unto man one time to die... And then comes the judgment. And the judgment we're going to talk about for a minute because there might be more to it than what you think. So, of those that die, here's another, it's not a major surprise, but not everybody who dies is going to heaven. Well, yes, we knew that. We knew that. But did you know that not everyone who goes to church and calls themselves a Christian, are going to heaven either. And I don't want to be that guy. Matthew chapter 7, here's another verse that just rankles my hair and my neck. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 21, they're talking about people who have cried out to the Lord, and he says... Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. Ah! That used to bother me so much. Or we could say it like this. Of those who say, Lord, Lord, not everyone will enter the kingdom of heaven. So he's not, again, he's not addressing this broad bunch of people, you know, the whole world. He's talking to the church again. The church being those people that have said, Lord, Lord. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. That's who he's talking to. The people that have said, Lord, Lord. Did you say that? Did you say, Lord, Lord? Well, this might be for you then. And me. Shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But here's that works. That, oh, that stinking thing got in here again. But he who does, does the will of my Father in heaven. Does. We're not talking again about works-based salvation. So there, there has to be a doing that goes with it. We don't do the does to become a Christian. We do them because we are Christians. So not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but out of the people that said, Lord, Lord, only those that do. There's that serving thing again. The will of the Father. Now, verse 22 is a tough one. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, 
Have we not prophesied and cast out devils and done miracles? Hey, look what we're doing here, Lord. We got it going on. The drummer's drumming. The band is playing. We got it happening. Of course, we, you could have asked those people like 45 seconds before they stood in front of the Lord, are you going to heaven? And they would have said, of course I'm going to heaven. Have you been to one of our services? We got a lady down front with a flag. We got the full orchestra over here. Come on, of course we're going to heaven. Mike Way is our pastor for heaven's sakes. Oh. But we're not talking about the lady with the flags, them. We're talking about you. What's your story? Many, oh, this is a tough word. Many will say in that day, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? In your name, important. Still, he said, depart from me, I never knew you. Now, here's, here's where it's really ugly. That word many in the original language is the word paulus, which means the largest portion. The largest portion. What is the largest portion of 100? What, no, no, what's the largest portion or, or, or the, the, that would just qualify as being the largest portion? Be 51. I'll give you that one. It'd be 51, right? So here he says, of those that call me Lord, Lord, the largest portion, and if we're really generous and say the largest portion is 51%, are not going to heaven. So if we divided this down the middle, and I got to do this, you're not going to heaven. I have to do that side to heaven because my wife's over there. But uh, you're not going. 51%. You're out. You thought you had it. You even said, Lord, Lord. But you missed it. See, I told you, these are hard ones, but you've got to wrestle with them. I don't want to wait until I get to heaven. In one version, it goes on to say, and I, it's not in my notes, in one version it goes on to say, and now I tell you plainly, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. And here's the problem with that. And now I tell you plainly. It's like, hey, Jane, Gene, Gene, I tried for years to get your attention. I, 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 I begged with you. I sent this guy from Alpena to come over and tell you. You don't know me. And so now you're standing before me at the judgment seat of Christ or at the, the, the great white throne judgment. And i got to tell you, girl, I never knew you. See, I'm telling you plainly because there's nowhere else for you to run. You can't run to, I'm the cookie lady, or I teach children's church, or I'm the head of the women's Bible study. You can't hide behind any of those things. He said, but now you're looking at me face to face, and I'm telling you, I never knew you. I tried telling you so many times. Now I tell you plainly. Wow, if that doesn't raise the hair on the back of your neck, it does me. I never knew you. If you think that's the only place that it's in the Bible, you're wrong. Imagine the sheep and the goats. Remember the sheep were on one side and the goats were on the other? Wait, or sheep were on one side and the goats were on the other? And you can, can't tell me that all of those goats didn't think they were going to heaven. Because when he said, hey guys, when I was hungry, you didn't feed me. When I was thirsty, you didn't give me to drink. When I was in prison, you didn't. When I was sick, he didn't. And what did they say? Huh? When, Lord? When, when, Lord? We thought we were okay. They all thought, we're okay. But you have to have not just faith, but that faith should produce something in you. 
that is, corresponds to that faith called works. Faith and works go together. And if you don't have that thing on the inside of you that says, I have got to serve, I've got to do something, then check yourself. Are you really in the faith? And again, I, I, I'm not, I didn't come over here. I don't want you to go to Pastor Mike. Oh, Pastor Mike, don't ever have Ted back. He just beats us up. I'm, I, I'm, not, I don't, I'm not beating you up. I'm just telling you, this is what the Bible says. And we have to deal with this stuff. We have to ask these questions. These are hard questions. Do you know how close we are to the end? And if all we're about is just, Lord, I let your presence fall and let me just get big goosebumps. Shame on you. No, Lord. I want to be like Paul. I want to know you and the power of your resurrection. I want to know you. When that temple curtain was ripped in two from top to bottom, that gave us access to God. That's the good news. God is the gospel. He's the good news. I get to go back into His presence. I get to be with Him just like Adam was. I get to know what it is to be in His presence and there is fullness of joy. Amen? Quickly now, you can write these down. When you die, you will face... Not one, but two judgments. You go, whoa, wait a minute, didn't know that. Yes, you do, Will. It's in your Bible. I'll give you the references. Revelation 20, 11 and 12 and 15, it talks about the great white throne judgment. And on that day, all the books are opened. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book was thrown into the lake of fire. So you've got to have some faith to get here. So if you're a believer, if you've truly been transformed, if you've been changed, you don't have anything to worry about at the great white throne judgment. Brother, you're in. He's going to say, well done. Not make this one well done. He's going to say, well done. Good and faithful servant. Come on in. But if you get past the great white throne judgment, you're going to be judged now for what you did or didn't do with what God gave you on this earth. And that is called the judgment seat of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.12 That's where you'll receive what is due for us, the things done while in the body, whether good or evil. So on that day, when you stand at the great white throne, or at the uh, judgment seat of Christ... You're going to stand there all alone. You don't get to say, can I stand by Pastor Mike? Nope. You get to stand all alone. And in front of you will be your life's work. What you did with what God gave you. And I, I always said, you can't tell me that the faithful lady who works back in, in the nursery that she's going to get less of an opportunity to lay up treasures in heaven than the pastor or the big-time preacher. That, that's not right. They're just different parts of the same body. But in front of you will be gold, silver, and precious gems and also wood, hay, and stubble. And Jesus will come along, come along at this judgment, the judgment seat of Christ, and he will put fire to your pile. And on that day, the Bible says you will either receive a reward or suffer loss. You will either receive a reward or you will suffer loss. Now, I don't know what loss is. I can guess, but I'm not going to. But it, it's not going to hell. 1 Corinthians 3, 12 and 13, if anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, and costly stones, wood, hay, and, and straw, their work shall be shown for what it is. The fire will test the quality of each one's work. 
So see, work and faith go together. Work and faith go together. So at the great white throne judgment, it'll be revealed if you've been washed in the blood and become a new creature, the judgment seat of Christ, you'll receive a reward or suffer loss based on what you did or didn't do with what God gave you. And you can say, yeah, but I'm not a wealthy man. All I have is. Can I tell you? All you have is what God gave you. And all He asks is that you be faithful with what you have. What difference does what I have really matter? Well, if you're a little boy with a few loaves and fishes in front of this massive crowd of 5,000 men plus women and children, you can take your little bit that you're faithful with and give it to the Lord. And He might feed 5,000 with it. Yes, you were faithful. That's what counts. Or you can take your $3 that you have in your purse that you were saving for when Dairy Queen opens. You can put it in the offering or buy your neighbor a loaf of bread. I don't care. And you can give it to the Lord just like the little loaves and fishes. You can take your loaves and fishes and give them to the Lord. Maybe he'll feed four people or five people. It doesn't make any difference if he feeds five or 5,000. You were faithful. That's what matters. The outcome belongs to him. All he asks of us is to be faithful with what we have. So uh, how am I supposed to live my life? It's really easy. Jesus laid it out. He said, here's what you do. You love me with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. You love me! Don't be concerned about anything but loving me. And then, the second is like unto it. Serve. How? That's not what it says. Yes, it does. It says, love your neighbor as yourself. This year, I got a plow truck because we have our counseling thing or at the end of a long dirt road. And man, those things are not as easy to drive as what my father-in-law makes it look like. But I did my best. And I would plow out my neighbor lady. She's an old lady, 78 years old, sweet thing, and her son. And the last time I was up there and plowed him out, she, I saw her come waddling out from her house. She had to come way down the driveway and way out to me, and I saw her coming, had her hand clutched. She said, oh, honey, thank you so much for doing that. Here, take this. Would you take this? I said, no, I will not. No, honey, you do this for us. Please, you take this. I said, no, Gertrude. You take this. I don't need this. I'm happy to do it. Get back in the house before you get cold. You love your neighbor as yourself. Wouldn't you love for your neighbor just to come by and snow blow your driveway? Do you know that that will speak more to them than putting a track between the screen door and the front door? Amen? So, we love the Lord our God with all of our heart, our mind, our soul, and our strength. And love our neighbor as ourselves or serve. You say, well, I don't feel like I have anything. Yes, you do. 1 Peter 4.10 says, each of you. Everybody say me. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received. That means you have a gift. To serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. 1 Corinthians 12, 18, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, in or where He wanted them to be. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. One thing that I've learned, and I've told you this before, about, you know, the Lord has, I mean, talk about using the foolish things of this world. 
One of the things I've learned is how important every part is. I go to some of these countries, and they are, they're like, oh, especially in Africa, they make me laugh. Apostle Teddy is here. And I say, no, I'm just Ted. Oh, no, you're an apostle. And I say, well, you can call me what you want, but I'm here just to help. I'm going to help your pastor by teaching you what you need to know. And what I've discovered is that I need them as much as they need me. Because every part has its part to play. And every joint supplies. And you can have a joint that's all bound up. And you can kind of struggle through the way I did. Oh, my fingers can breathe. That feels so good. All that time, did you wonder why I had my... No, not a bit. You were just listening. That's one joint out of how many in a body. It was there, but it was so bound up it wasn't able to do its part. God wants you free. And the only way that you're ever going to be free is when you stop being concerned about what God can or will do for you and realize that you were created for Him, not Him for you. And you start to live a life that is God-centered and other-centered. I ask you a question as, I, as we part. What? And you have to answer this. Please answer it. I'm going through, I'm answering it right now. I'm answering this question. It's an ongoing thing. What are you doing right now that takes faith? What are you doing right now that takes faith? Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. Right? Right? So if you're going to live your life, Paul said, I I live my life, I'm not my own, I've been bought with the price of the life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God. By the way, that's a good point. Not faith for healing, not faith for increase, not faith for warm weather, but faith in Christ. That's where your faith should be, in Christ. And you say, Lord, whatever it takes, make me more like you, that I might glorify you. So what are you doing right now that takes faith? I knew a guy that asked that question, and he said, I'm going to stop and buy some groceries and take them to some people in need. He said, I was in the checkout line, buying these groceries, and I realized I didn't know anybody (laughs) that was in need. So he started going downtown in a dangerous part of, I don't know, San Diego, Los Angeles, someplace, just walking up and down the street sharing his faith. He said, God, I'm out here. If I get picked off, it's not going to be a surprise to you because you've numbered my days. I trust you. And I'm going to do something that takes faith. Because, Gene, I know I'm so selfish, so self-consumed, so self-absorbed that without Christ, my life will be just about me. And if I think I have Christ and it's still just about me, then I need to get this message off the internet and listen to it again. Because you missed it. One more Tedism as I close my book. If you can't be happy with Jesus Christ and what you have where you're at, with Jesus Christ, and what you have where you're at. You will never be happy 
with Jesus Christ and what you think you need where you think you need it. Because as soon as you get it, if that's the thing that it took to make you happy, you're going to want something else. And Jesus is supposed to be your all in all. And be like Paul. I have learned in whatever shape I'm in, state I'm in, to be content. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Even do without milk on my cereal this week. I can do that. And I still get to go to heaven. Is that awesome or what? I can still have a neighbor that hates me because we're on different teams. And I still get to go to heaven. In fact, my wife and I were talking about that this morning. A friend of ours said, the people that don't like me, I have given them permission to not like me. It's okay. It's okay. I'm not going to concern myself with it. You have permission not to like me. Because Jesus thinks I'm everything. He thinks I'm all that and a bag of chips. That's what he thinks about me. Amen? And I pray for you. I, I didn't, again, I didn't come here to offend. What I came here to do was to awaken. I'm so afraid. I'm so afraid that the church doesn't understand what it is to be the church. I'm afraid for me. I'm afraid for my kids. Francis Chan went to China trying to figure out what God was doing and they wanted to know, tell us about the American church. What's the American church like? They were so excited. Guy from America, big name like Francis Chan, comes to China. Tell us about the American church. It must be something. What's it like? He said, well, in America they actually are more concerned about the building being the church than they are the people being the church. And sometimes they get mad at the pastor and they go to another church. Or they get mad at each other and then they leave. And he said, the Chinese people who were meeting in underground churches for fear of their lives began to laugh hysterically thinking he was joking. And the sad thing is, he was telling the truth. That's who we are. I won't be the church. Amen? Bow your heads. Father, every person in this place today, you brought here for a specific reason, for a specific purpose. You brought them to hear this word. I know that. Because you order our steps. So if they're here, you brought them. And so, Lord, I pray. I pray for me. Let this word penetrate our hearts. Let us see. It's all about you. Loving you and serving you. Loving our brother as ourselves friend as ourselves thank you Lord for opening our eyes giving us a zeal and a fire for you for knowing you and then let us do Lord out of that overflow of joy and thanksgiving when an opportunity to serve comes Lord, let us see it as God's hand of blessing come our way. It didn't come by accident, but it came that we might lay up for ourselves in heaven treasures that moth and rust cannot corrupt and destroy. And we'll do it by faith. Not because it's convenient, not because we feel like it, but because we love you and we can't help it.
Thank you for all that you're doing in this church. Thank you for giving this body of believers such a man of God as Mike. And Lord, Mike's just like me. I don't know what his flaws are, but I'm sure he's got them. We all do. We're all a mess. But thank God for the grace that you have given us and your willingness to use us in spite of ourselves. Lord, be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen.